everybody, welcome to episode number 126 of the Between the Cracks podcast. I'm your host, Bill, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Chris. Chris, we're back! Can you believe it? Hardly. Uh, what has it been, five weeks? Uh, it, weeks? It's been quite some time, but, but there's been a, a lot going on within that time frame, hasn't there? Daddy... <laughs> oh, indeed. Chris, yes, I, uh... Chris, please, let, let, allow me to do the big reveal. Everybody, Chris is now a father, a first-time daddy. Yep, that's right. Uh, well, our, our son came quite a bit earlier than we had planned, So, uh, but all is well. Uh, he's, he's, he's doing great, and uh, yeah, we're, we're just happy to get him home soon, but... Because of that, it's been uh, quite a long break from recording, so... Uh, yes, that was a, a little bit of a touch-and-go situation for a bit, but uh, we are very excited to see that he's gaining weight, and uh, pretty soon we'll be on his way home. Yeah. Home. <laughs> yes, yes. Home. We, home. I, all right, we, we get it, I guess. I... <laughs> But that's a perfect segue into tonight's story. Oh, indeed, it is, little buddy. And I am very excited about tonight's episode. Because, you know, as we get to the end of the year, what we try to do every year is end the year on a positive note. We try to tell a story of redemption or survival, a feel-good story, if you will. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Because, Chris, I'm telling you right now, bud... This is one of the most remarkable survival stories I've ever heard of in my entire life. This is nuts. Tonight, we are taking on the incredible story of the one and only Mr. Poon Lim. Who is Poon Lim, you say? Well, Poon Lim was a Chinese civilian seaman who... Come on, Chris. Who... On November 23rd of 1942, was working aboard the British cargo steamship, the SS Benlamond, when it was torpedoed by a German submarine. Now remember, we're talking uh, early 1940s, we're right in the heart of World War II. And what a scary time to be on a ship, right? Because you can't see these little fucking things floating underneath you. Just think about that, man. One minute you're just sailing along... uh... (laughs) One minute you're just sailing along the ocean blue, and then uh, the next minute you're swimming in it. Yeah, and boy, was he. <laughs> was he ever. But, Chris, as uh, we always like to say around here, and I, I think it's more important tonight than ever because it's been so long, <laughs> in order to understand exactly how Poon Lin found himself in this situation, we need to go backwards in order to move forward. Chris... If you don't mind, I'm, I'm going to ask you, because you seem to know him better than the rest of us. Poon Lim, what you got for us? Poon Lim, born in China in 1918, he grew up in a fishing village and uh, learning how to swim at a young age. When he was just 10 years old, his family moved to Malaysia. And uh, it was there where he continued to do his uh, work in the fishing industry. In 1942, at the age of 30, to kind of bring us closer to present day here, when I say present day, I mean present day in our story, of course, Poon Lim was drafted into the Chinese Merchant Marine 
to work as a steward on the SS Ben Lamond, which is this British transporting uh, supply ship. And uh, we should note that the SS Ben Lamond was a British cargo steamship, which was built in 1922. So the nature of uh, the Ben Lamond was to transport goods from one location to another, supplies and whatnot, whatever the case may be. So, I mean, it wasn't very well equipped uh, as far as uh, being able to defend itself, even though we are in the, uh, the, the middle of World War II. Correct. Even though we are in World War II, this this ship is just, you know, very lightly equipped. It's really certainly not meant to make any attacks, but more so it is lightly armed for defense purposes. When I say defense purposes, maybe more so for like an air assault or maybe perhaps another smaller ship that comes by. Certainly not equipped to attack uh, a submarine or any type of a U-boat. Yes, and uh, we find out that's exactly what happens to the SS Ben Lamont. Because, Chris, on November 23rd at 1410 hours, Chris, the USS Ben Lamont was struck by not one, but two torpedoes. She sank within two minutes. And due to the fact that she sunk so quickly, that in turn lent itself to there being so few survivors because the crew did not have enough time to escape, nor did they have the time to launch all of the lifeboats that they had aboard. So, Chris, even though the ship went down so quickly and most of uh, the crew members perished, some did indeed survive. Am I right? Seaman boy. Um... Uh, well, it pains me to say that you are, but but maybe you aren't at the same time, because while some of the crew members aboard the SS Ben Lamond do survive, and in fact, they are able to get one raft, one life raft, you know, shoved off into the water, they don't actually survive long enough to board it. And this is where these men, I should say really saved Poon Lim's life indirectly just because Poon Lim is able to get into the water and find uh, you know, a piece of debris to initially stay afloat on, but he ends up finding this life raft after two hours. I'm sorry, but how horrifying is it to be, <laughs> God, just to be out in the middle of the ocean and then you, you, you find some kind of, maybe like you said, driftwood or whatever, it provides you with some buoyancy, but, but your legs are just dangling in the water. Oh, and you're and you're kicking them, making oh, splashing motions. You just know, like, like you know, everything's watching you. Whales, sharks, anything. I gotta tell you, man, there is few things I fear more than being in open ocean water alone, no less, and not knowing what's underneath you. Oh God, absolutely. But we should mention that the the one good thing, I mean, if you want to call it that, that Poon has going for him is the fact that the Benlamon was torpedoed during the daytime, thereby giving Boone at least daylight to to kind of gather his wits. I would imagine that the panic would increase tenfold if this was happening at night and you can't see anything that's going on in front of your face. I mean, at, at least there's that, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and then you're just dealt with the splashes of the night oh god i mean that no that 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 definitely is my worst fear that's definitely i mean it it beats ventriloquist dolls it beats cockroaches it's definitely being lost at sea (laughs) 
at night. <laughs> but anyway, Chris, that's the situation Poonlin finds himself in. He's in the middle of the Atlantic, off the coast of Brazil, floating aimlessly. And at this point, unbeknownst to Poon, 52 of the 53 crew members aboard died in this horrific attack. We were actually just talking about this because I could have swore, I mean, both of us were talking back and forth, like, I, we thought that maybe some of the other members survived, but no, he ends up, in fact, being the lone survivor of this whole thing, and, and you know, we, we get back to in his, his early life and, and the skills he was taught as a young kid. He ends up swimming and finding this life raft that I had mentioned earlier that was actually shoved off by some of the crew members, but that the journey only just begins at this point. When you're in the water swimming around for two hours, thoughts of your life ending are obviously popping in your head here. Once you get on this raft, you finally get a chance to grasp the whole situation. Like, like, oh my God, I'm in the middle of the ocean. I, I can't only imagine the million things running through your head. Well, you know you've just been torpedoed, so, I mean, you know that they have some German submarine just uh, lurking beneath you somewhere, which means that most likely there are other enemy warcraft lurking close by. But remember that we did say that there were other survivors, so, I mean, we should note that Poon did say that he saw another raft with about four or five crew members aboard, and they were waving to him to come join them, but uh, he couldn't make it to them. And unfortunately, they drifted away, and uh, we find out that they did not survive. But as you said, Poon did eventually find another raft, and uh, I, I guess what we should do now is kind of uh, describe what we mean by raft. Now, th this is not a modern-day raft, Chris. Remember, we're, to, we're in 1942. So, I mean, th this is actually an 8-foot by 8-foot square wooden raft, and I I'm looking at it. It has a, a little... Um, indentation where it kind of makes as a bench so you can like sit down on either end and you can rest your legs uh beneath uh, a seating area and you can also probably roll under one of these side benches to, uh, to protect yourself from the elements in addition to that there are four wooden posts on each end and uh, there is which looks like a canvas covering of some sort it's not a sail but it, i mean it's obviously there to protect you from the elements whether it be rain or protecting someone's skin from sunburn or whatnot. But uh, this does not look, at least in my uh, expert opinion, Chris, it does not look like it's made to uh, sustain a long length of time out in the open waters. No, nor does it look like it could survive any sort of uh, rocky seas. I want to just mention one thing about what you said about Poon Lim seeing those other survivors on the raft. Okay. <laughs> Knowing what we know now, mm -hmm. I had two thoughts. Were those men potentially shot down, killed by the enemy? And if Poon Lim had, in fact, made it to that raft, would he have met the same fate as those other survivors at the time? My other thought, if Poon Lim had found them, maybe they all would have survived. Because Poon Lim knew how to survive. What an astute observation, Chris. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, we got to take into account here that the, that the enemy is still lurking close by. So if they know that this ship was torpedoed and then they see a, a life raft with a couple guys on it, you know, they might come back and try to finish the job. 
Or, you know, the other great point you made, perhaps they didn't have Poon's survival skills, but also, and we're going to talk about this now, with four or five men aboard this raft, that means that they would have to share the provisions which were provided within the said raft. So, I mean, you take that into account, Chris. Maybe uh, a a bit of mutiny comes into play where, you know, they start fighting amongst each other and whatnot, and one thing leads to another, and uh, unfortunately, that all leads to there being no survivors. That is a very good point. I I, I had neglected to think about that as well. I I think it undoubtedly his his survival skills are, are what propels him to survive the entire trip at sea that he ends up having here. But that just goes to show you, right? You, you may have less provisions with your group of people, but you have more minds together to think. Mm, um, very good point. You know, who knows? You have more men to help paddle. Uh, but these guys couldn't make it. And if it wasn't due to a, an enemy attack and that they just simply perished due to, uh, you know, running out of, out of supplies... It just goes to show you how incredibly difficult it is to survive on your own in the middle of the ocean once you've run out of provisions. And, Bill, why don't you run us through exactly what those provisions are that are left on these life rafts? I was waiting to get to this part, Chris. And, uh, I mean, they are really, uh, you know, for a makeshift uh, little wooden raft in uh, the 1940s, they're packed with quite a bit. Uh, For instance, the raft itself was stocked with a can of fresh water containing 10 imperial gallons. That's 45 liters, Chris. Six boxes wow. of hardtack. Mm-hmm. Now, now, I what's hardtack, you may ask? Uh, let, let me look right here because I don't know. Hardtack <laughs> is a type of dense biscuit or cracker made from flour, water, and sometimes salt. It is inexpensive and long-lasting. It's used for sustenance in the absence of perishable foods, commonly used during long sea voyages. And boy, oh boy, do we find out this is a long sea voyage. But uh, in addition to that, Chris, two pounds of chocolate, which uh, you need chocolate whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it be near near death or whatever the case may be, you need chocolate. Now, Chris, please stop being so rude. Let me continue here. Uh, Ten cans of pemmican, which is uh, yeesh, dried meat <laughs> with some dried berries. It, it kind of looks like a fruitcake, you know, like a, like a fruitcake that you'd pick up uh, for Christmas time, Chris. <laughs> or perhaps something that had already been consumed and, then, uh... <laughs> <laughs> and made its way back out. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, there were five cans of evaporated milk a bottle of lime juice, <laughs> and then uh, uh, I guess for your lonely pleasures, they offer you uh, uh, a can of massage oil. <laughs> what are we doing on this ship? <laughs> Please, Poon, keep it in your pants. <laughs> I can only guess that perhaps maybe this is to help keep your body hydrated or some way, or... or, or uh, well, I'm guessing, I don't know. That, you know... A uh, moisturizer? <laughs> well, you, got, you better be careful you don't put that oil... You better be careful that you don't put that oil on and go sit in the sun. Jesus, you'll bake. True. So what Poon does underneath his tarp is his business, Chris, so please, let's continue. <laughs> so, in addition to that, there are also flares, two smoke pots, and a flashlight. And all three of those things, the flares, the smoke pots, and the flashlight, are there to help signal for help. 
So, I mean, you, you look at these rations that are available, uh, you should be able to survive for quite some time. First and foremost, you got to keep that water purified and uh, safe to drink. Yeah, and I mean, we, we say this obviously sounds like a, a ton for, you know, maybe even a single person, but uh, I don't think these rafts were meant for you to stay afloat in the water for well over 100 days, that's for sure. There's one famous picture of Poon in this raft. I'm under the assumption that it's a reconstruction made by the Navy, as I'm seeing that listed quite a bit on some sites. So, nonetheless, you're right. It does not look like it is meant to stay afloat for very long. It actually looks like the Flintstone uh, mobile. Remember the Flintstone car? <laughs> yes. That's what it looks like. I mean, it's certainly not much better than what Tom Hanks was able to put together in uh, <laughs> Castaway. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, unfortunately for Poon, he had no volleyball, so he had no one to talk to, Chris. <laughs> I mean, we're joking around, but my God, Poon's ability to remain calm and survive this situation is absolutely incredible. So let's get into his journey, Chris. I mean, we now know the type of raft he's on. We know what rations he has available. And uh, at this point, He's stuck out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, off the coast of Brazil, all by his lonesome. And we find out it stays that way for over four months. 133 days, to be exact. Chris, <laughs> how the hell is this possible? How did Poon do this? So, once Poon had really started to burn through all the rations... Maybe even before, you know, knowing Poon and his survival skills, he probably started to uh, find other means of food before his rations were up, because obviously you don't want to find yourself in a very, very desperate situation. He is able to start making use of some of the containers, the life jacket covering and stuff. He's getting creative. So he has started to do one of the things he knows best, fishing. This is what his strength is, and he's going to take it to his full advantage. So what he does is he ends up starting out by catching seabirds. Now, very interesting because... Gah. Gah. Um, probably could have done without the sound effects. But, I'm a seagull. Uh, <laughs> that was a seagull, Chris. <laughs> sound like a crow to me. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so... You know, seabirds out in the water, you know, they, you know, this is obviously common. If there's a ship or something out there, they'll land on it. But because all that there was to land on was this small little canvas that's sitting above this 8x8 raft, this put the seabirds in very close proximity to Poon. So he was actually able to grab some of these seabirds and he would catch them. What he was doing was he was drying them in the sun and making jerky out of them. Because it's dried, it has a tendency to last much longer, obviously without needing any sort of refrigeration or anything. Something like a raw bird, you'd either have to cook it, or it would spoil pretty quickly without taking all the moisture out of it, which is what he did, and he made jerky. I would imagine that this raft was beginning to smell a little funky. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> Continue, Chris, please. But... He also ends up using the jerky from these seabirds as bait 
he's unraveling some hemp rope, which is on the ship. And I don't know if that he's deconstructing part of a canvas or something, but basically out of the supplies he has there, he's able to use this hemp rope as a fishing line. And then he takes a spring that was inside the flashlight to make a fish hook. Mm. And now uh, he crushes pieces of hard tack at some points to make bait. But then, as I said, he's using the jerky sometimes as bait. He takes a nail from the boards in the raft to also make a stronger fishing hook. This guy's incredible. He's not just catching one type of fish. He's he's now creating a range of sizes of hooks so that he can catch smaller and larger fish. He, he is just completely improvising with all these things. But of course, he has the mind and the sense to know what he needs as a fisherman to make do with what's on the ship, on this little craft. Now, as we know, when you're out in the ocean, even though you may appear to be alone, <laughs> you're anything but. We find out that Poon had a couple friends circling uh, about the uh, raft, didn't he? Uh, well, that, that's the right. The unintended consequence of catching fish, right? You're especially if if he's gutting them or doing anything and tossing any remnants in the water. I mean, you're you're just creating a chum line for other larger things. Yes, and and so that is ultimately what ends up happening here. Now, r- remember, he was in the water for two hours just dangling, right? So we know that there were sharks in proximity. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, you so, got to figure that those guys, if they're torpedoed, somebody had to be bleeding somewhere. A little bit of blood, and the, the sharks sense that, and they smell it, and uh, they're off to the races. So, yes, while he is fishing, he has a run-in with sharks. Perhaps what you or I would have do is, you know, maybe try to hit them, get them, shoo them away. What does old Poon do? Oh. Poon catches the shark. And whilst hauling in this shark, which uh, the razor sharp teeth, and this thing is trying to bite him while he's pulling it aboard, he grabs one of the water containers and he beats the death out of the thing. He then, and remember, we're going to go back to his childhood lessons, all the training he's had up to this point. He drags the thing aboard cuts it open, and he starts sucking the blood from its liver. Jesus, Poon. Well, you know, what's funny, you know, that, that you mentioned that, you know, the uh, orcas, we, we did the one episode on uh, Tilikum, and uh, we, we learned, Chris, that the, the orcas will attack great whites, but only eat the liver. The most nutrient-dense part of an animal is its organs, and that is where you really get all the vitamins and stuff. But interestingly here... The reason why he's doing this is because he had run out of water. Oh, man. Once you run out of water, the clock starts ticking. Absolutely crazy. He, he is doing this to quench his thirst. This guy is an absolute survivalist. This is incredible. It's noted here that uh, Poon had lost all of his clothing except his shirt and vest. Now, maybe that had something to do with the massage oil. We don't know. But uh, all Poon is wearing uh, at this point in time in his journey is a shirt and his vest. And it says here that he made um, a, a small skirt, <laughs> a mini skirt, if you will, out of a, a, a burlap bag. And I'm just thinking, you know, if, if uh, you have no drawers on and you get the burlap there, I mean, it, it can't make for a fun voyage. <laughs> 
Uh, he, I, he's certainly, uh, I don't think he's the most comfortable uh, in his <laughs> That <entire>. he's ever been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, we're joking around, but in all seriousness, Dune had the ability to to do what he did due to the experiences in his early childhood. And uh, he was able to keep himself alive. But Chris, marine life is not the only thing that's lurking beneath the seas. Searching for Poon. <laughs> is it? No, uh, although... I shouldn't say some of the encounters that he ends up having out in the ocean here are with other crafts. And uh, despite actually seeing Poon, they neglect to uh, give him any assistance. Yeah, well, I was actually reading that they used to use sailors and put them on rats as decoys. So say you're on um, an enemy vessel and you make your way close to this raft to find out what the situation is and if you can help this person or whatnot. And then uh, immediately after that, you're attacked. So uh, I, I guess this was a method that they used as a way to kind of entice the enemy to get closer. So they were like, you know what? The hell with it. <laughs> Best of luck. And how crazy is that, right? You have been in the water for God knows how long at this point. You actually come across a vessel that could stop this all, end this whole crazy thing and, and, and get you home that you've been fighting for a survival this entire time and you're just dismissed because either A, they think that you're, uh, I think one of the things here was that they perhaps thought that he was a Japanese sailor. Of course, uh, they were no friends to, uh, to the Allies uh, at this point. And then you had, like you said, that the German U-Berts were using these survival decoys to lure in people. It's you against the world here. Yeah, you have it, to do this on your own. It's almost, I hate to say it, but it's like picking up a hitchhiker. You know, if I, if you see someone who looks innocent and need help along the side of the road at night, I, I'm not stopping. I don't care. Look, I mean, call somebody who do what you got to do, but are you going to take the chance of that this person isn't uh, just luring you in? You know, yeah, seriously. And that's why they ended up leaving Poon in that very situation. We should mention another encounter that happens to him that just, just to add to this absolutely horrific uh, scenario that he was put in, a couple times there was uh, Navy patrol planes that saw him. One of them dropped a marker buoy in the water <laughs> to basically mark that they had witnessed Poon in the water. Oh, gee, thanks. <laughs> well, they report back to the U.S. Navy authorities in Belém, uh, Brazil, but apparently a storm hits the area at the same time, and he gets lost Jesus yet Christ. again. Come on, Boone. My God, this is crazy. Is, is there no luck for Boone Lim? I, I mean, it, it is, it's It's just truly remarkable. He could have died three, four, five times at this point. I mean, they're within inches of grabbing him and pulling him aboard, and a rogue wave hits. Sends him another 300 nautical miles out to sea. <laughs> I mean, you talk about just a day in and day out mental anguish that you're going through to to survive this. And I mean, days must seem like weeks, weeks must seem like months and so on. And, uh, you know, then you finally get a, a false glimmer of hope and it's just dashed away. And you can see it right in front of your eyes and the ship's going further and further away. It's getting smaller and smaller. Talk about getting your hopes dashed. I mean, how do you even build up any sort of morale to continue going? My God. 
And, and like we said, this didn't happen just once. This has happened multiple times. But yeah. could you imagine being, I'm sorry to cut, keep cutting you off, Chris, but imagine being um, out at sea. Imagine being lost at sea for over four months and you still see no shoreline. You, I, you're just floating aimlessly. I mean, good grief. Right. And I'm sure, I mean, maybe if you could make out some sort of land in the distance, uh, if it were getting closer, maybe that would, you know, bring your hopes up a little bit, your morale, but you don't know where you're drifting. You could be drifting further into the middle of, of nowhere. Yeah, and for all intents and purposes, he kind of was. That was until April of 1943. Now, Poon, uh, being uh, quite the established fisherman and whatnot, he realized that he was nearing land because the color of the sea was no longer, Chris, it was no longer the deep ocean blue. The water itself began turning to a lighter shade, oh blue. So this gave Poon hope that he was making some progress and was soon to make landfall. So Chris, here we are, April of 1943. Let's turn the calendar page to April 5th of 1943. That's when old Poon Lim's fate changed for the better. Didn't it? Oh, indeed. <laughs> let's, let's just grasp this here for a second. This happened in November 23rd, and now we're talking about April 5th. That's <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's horrible. And this entire time, he's been in the ocean. It's <laughs> horrible. Oh my God. Uh, on a fucking eight by eight piece of wood. I- I'd be dead in uh, five minutes. <laughs> oh, I would. I would be dead in the two hour swim easily. <laughs> yes, April fifth, he comes across three Brazilian fishermen. One thing Poon Lim ended up having going for him is that during this entire drift of 750 miles, he was heading westward towards Brazil. If he was drifting in the other direction, who knows if he ever would have been found, but he happened to be drifting westward, which was the best possible thing because now he ended up being only a mere nine nautical miles off the coast of Pará, east of Salinas. This is where Brazilian fishermen encounter him. Let's not forget, all this time at sea definitely took its physical toll on Poon. It's reported that when he was found, he was 20 pounds lighter, and that he was so weak that the rescuers, those three Brazilian fishermen, had to lift him out of the raft. He could not walk. But get this, in a roughly three-day span that he spent in the hospital, he was able to get up and walk again. Even though he was still weak, he had enough strength to at least begin the process of recovery immediately. Losing 20 pounds may not sound like a lot, but we don't actually know what he weighed before the ship sank. If we had to guess, let's just say he weighed, uh, I'm just going to take a guess and say that was under 150 pounds. Yeah, he looks about 135 would be my guess for Poon. Yeah, (laughs) you're losing 20 pounds that's a huge percentage of your body. I mean, like, that's not like us losing 20 pounds, which we, let's be honest, we probably all could lose 20 pounds, right? <laughs> uh, this obviously is a substantial amount to lose at his height and weight. 
at the same time, it's also fascinating that he was able to keep as much calories in his body that he didn't lose more than 20 pounds. Yeah, you think four so, months of loss at sea, I, I would assume it'd be more than 20 pounds. But, uh, you know, you're, you're right. I guess it's all relative to what kind of body type you have and whatnot. But, yeah, it's just absolutely incredible the way he was able to continue fighting, whether it be collecting rainwater, the, the various uh, fish and birds that he was able to eat, and the way he was able to treat them in order to eat them and whatnot. So, absolutely incredible. Just an absolutely amazing survival story. Yeah, <laughs> indeed it is, Chris. It doesn't get any more uplifting than this. Being lost at sea for 133 days, only to be rescued and saved out of nowhere. My God, what a journey Poon was on. And, uh, you know, he ends up getting recognized uh, by quite a few institutions, doesn't he? He does. And in, uh, in fact, his notorious survival uh, actually ends up doing more than just getting him a medal. <laughs> like what? Do you want to know what that happened? <laughs> yeah, yes, please, tell me. <laughs> well, after the war, Poon Lim actually wanted to emigrate to the U.S., but they had said that they had already reached their quota for Chinese immigrants. Oh, no. But once they found out who he was, he actually received a special dispensation, and he gained citizenship as a result. Guess what this fucking guy does? What do you do? Applies to join the U.S. Navy. Oh, Boone. And then he gets denied because he has flat feet. <laughs> Come on. That's not true, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> it says it right here. Oh, God. <laughs> Maybe it was those flat feet that help uh, Poon paddle along on that, uh, that little uh, raft he was on here. My God. Uh, fucking plank feet. <laughs> So, I mean, this story gets better and better and better. So, Poon, I mean, more power to you, man. What an absolutely incredible story. And I, I wanted to, to bring this up because uh, at the time of Poon's rescue, he was told that no one had ever survived lost at sea on a raft for that long. Poon then responds by saying, I hope no one will ever have to break that record now. You may ask, Chris, how is this related to, to this episode, and how's it related to BTC? How could we possibly make Poon Lim's <laughs> wonderful story about us, Chris? Well, allow me to tell you. Poon said, remember, I hope no one will ever have to break that record. Well, little buddy, it was broken. And not only was it broken, <laughs> it was absolutely shattered. <laughs> by Jose <laughs> Jose Salvador Alvarengue of El Salvador. He was a fisherman, and he was lost at sea, this is just wild, for 439 days. Now, <laughs> that makes Poon's adventure seem like a mere bag of shells. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking, Chris, please. The more amazing thing is that this happened in 2012, or you would think that it would be easier to find somebody, but that just goes to show you how Poon Lim was probably in a much worse off situation, but managed to, to live as long as he did. That's absolutely incredible. If you're interested, uh, we actually covered the story of uh, Jose Salvador Avarengue, and that's episode 41. My God, Chris, I'm looking at it now. We did that back in... December 17th of 2020. <laughs> how, is wow. the, how is this show's 
<laughs> How does the show keep continuing <laughs> to roll on? My God. It's a miracle. So, Chris, that's it. That is the story of Poon Lim. And we do find out that, unfortunately, Lim died in Brooklyn, New York, on January 4th of 1991, but he did live to the age of 72. And he lived quite the amazing life. So, uh, well done, Poon. That is the incredible survival story of the one and only Poon Lim. What a way to end 2023, bud. An absolute story of survival, (laughs) of overcoming. Okay. Was that the statement, Chris? (laughs) Uh, That's all I could get out. Uh, Have a happy poon year. (laughs) So uh, let me me see if I even remember how to do this. It's been so goddamn long here. Uh, Let me get the rundown and we can get out of here for the night. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at btcpod2020 at gmail.com. If if you would like to get in touch with us on social media, you can uh, find us on Instagram at the Between the Cracks podcast. If you would like to become one of our lovely patrons, please feel free to do so by clicking on the link in the show notes. Now, with all that said, bud, what do you say we wish the fine, fine people out in podcast land the happiest? Oh, a new year. (laughs) 